There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is London Estate Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolf, and it is 2016. Oh, yes, it is. We made it, people. Congratulations. And uh, I have a teeming inbox. And before we head into this week's film-centric episode and get the year properly underway, I need to dispatch a couple of responses. First out of the traps, a listener going by the handle ADGB on the comments section of a recent episode says you asked about Frankel trimmings in the latest podcast and uh, listeners will recognize that name as well from the Art Deco show, which we revisited in the best of recently. And uh, well, it turns out Frankel Trimmings is a former cinema opened in 1913 as Sharp's Picture House. It was remodeled in the 30s and remained a cinema until 1964. And uh, until 1990, it was a bingo hall. Since then, it's been the fabric warehouse it is today. This year, it'll follow the sad, inevitable fate of nice old buildings in East London. It's becoming flats but at least the frontage is being retained and it's not becoming ugly boring glass fronted boxes says adgb and uh, thanks very much for that you've sent as well some sources east end memories cinema treasures and so on and i'll get those tweeted out so that people can share that thanks for sating my curiosity I've got two lots of greetings to project uh, right across the cold Atlantic as well. Warm greetings to uh, Susan Robinson in British Columbia. Hi, Susan. Uh, You don't say where you are in BC. It's a big place. But thanks very much uh, both for your extremely positive comments about the show and uh, also for the idea that you sent in, which is actually one that we've been mulling over for quite a while. Uh, We'd really like to do it. We haven't found the right person yet. But we're going to, and I think you've spurred us on to redouble our efforts. Watch this space. Also, hello and uh, Happy New Year, of course, to Ariana. On Twitter, at Londonist Sound, you say that you want to tell us how much you love the podcast for Londonist Out Loud, notably the Soho one. Uh, and you're, you say your week wouldn't be complete without N. Quentin Wolf. Well, let me tell you, Ariana, I feel exactly the same way. And you like the Soho one, and we talked a lot about film there, and we're going to be talking a lot about film here as well as we meet two people who not only write for Lemonist on film and theatre but also are responsible for creating some of that good stuff Hey baby let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sounds you ain't never seen the light before just a song through from your front door
Hello, hello, and a very happy new year to you. Happy 2016. I hope that your new year has got off on the right foot. I wonder whether our podcast this week has got off on the right foot. We are proposing to record this week underneath a train line. I don't know how many feet we are from the tracks themselves, probably half a dozen. We're in the vaults, which is just around the corner from Waterloo Station, the Waterloo Vaults, and we are guests of the Underground Film Club, and with me, uh, Iwana Caravella, who is a film producer, also a contributor sometimes for Londonist, quite often in fact, and Stu Black, even more so, the film and theatre editor at Londonist. Hi, you both. Hello. Hello, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Yes, good. And we've still got the Christmas tree up, I see. That's going to have to go by the time of broadcast, because that's bad luck. There, there's a general sense of uh, a pleasant chaos here at the vaults. It's not somewhere I've been before, and there's a theatrical vibe, there's a cinematic vibe. And there's a crazy golf course. Yeah, well, at the moment, they're, we're preparing for... Well, they're preparing for the, the next set of films that they'll have on here. And um, the, the golf downstairs is about as crazy as it gets with um, people falling over each other and trying to get to the hot dog stands. Stu has tried um, a, a mini-golf, you know, round. And, yeah, his experience... It's one of the best places in town, actually, would like to think. And um, is where we run our Londonist film nights. And... Um, we're very, you know, happy that um, we're having this conversation here. Um, as we are excited for what's coming up in January, We've got one more Londonist night on the 16th of January with uh, Suffragettes uh, is the film that we'll be screening. And in pure Londonist um, fashion, we'll be showing a short film um, before then, which is Kate Heron's uh, Valentine. So... Um, 16th of January is, you know, for, for London, it's a very exciting date this month. Yeah, this will be this will be the fourth of our Londonist film nights. Uh, we started in December of 2015, and we had um, to be kick off with Amy, followed by uh, an American Wealth in London, and we actually had one of the actors attend the screening, which was really nice. We uh, had and then we had Shakespeare in Love just before Christmas, and yeah, the Underground Film Club is certainly a cinematic experience. Yeah. I, can, I can see a London-centric idea in a couple of those films. Are they deliberately London-themed pieces of cinema? Absolutely. We, we've been picking some of our favourite films that feature the, the capital. I mean, Stu and myself are dedicated to all things cinematic and London-based. So all the films we've been choosing, shorts and features, have London at the sort of you know, centre of the story. They're all done in London. And they're, of course, being shown in London. Let's get back to the venue for a second, because this seems ambitious. You've got a film going on just inches away from a railway line. What sort of challenges does that pose? Oh, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's one of the most extraordinary cinemas, I, th- I think, uh, where you come in and you've got your exclusive set of headphones and a- an incredible screen. Oh, and you're wearing headphones. That's a clever move. Completely. It's like, you know... It's really um, immersive. Yeah, um, you have, like, a personal you know experience along with everyone else and what's really funny you can experiment which I've done in one of our nights where you know when we're through for something funny you can sort of take your headphones off a bit and then you know you can hear the whole crowd laughing and no sound which is hilarious okay that's an audio version of that 3d thing have you ever watched a crowd of people watching a 3d film uh, no, I haven't. What, that's that's a real experience. That's almost a better experience than being in the audience <laughs> watching the film because everybody's reacting to something that's attacking them or jumping out of water at them or whatever it might be, and there's there's nothing there. It's a, a mass delusion. Well, the, the, the best thing about this really is um, you don't have to... Um 
uh, listen to anyone else chatting through your film. So you just put your headphones on, you're, you're, you're in it completely, um, and it just seems like a solution to a problem. You can still occasionally hear the, the rumble of a tube overhead, but I think that just adds to films like An American Wealth in London where you're underground, uh, you know, being chased by a werewolf anyway. I am. I'm liking the style of this. I don't know that the railway needs to have anything to do with it. I think this is how every cinema should be operating. <laughs> Completely. It, the space is very special. The screen is incredible. You know, the, the cinema is old school, and it really does, to me anyway, um, reinstates my, my faith. The cinemas are the best way to watch films, really. Now, when you say it's old school, that brings to mind a trained projectionist. <laughs> a trained projectionist. <laughs> or, or do you, in fact, have somebody pressing a button? Um, no. <laughs> no, we do have actually a projectionist, don't we? Kind of, with yeah. a button, maybe, a little <laughs> bit more technologically advanced. But, um, you know, the, the seating is very, you know, um, it reminds you of, of, of cinemas. It's a bit know. like being in The Muppet Show, I'd say. The yeah. Sort of red velvet seats. And yeah, the red people, velvet people seats. People dropping things on you, and it's, it's fun. You it's know, good. popcorn it's, and, and it's, hot it's dogs. Not, it's not what you get at home, basically. I believe you, and we've got a Chesterfield underneath you right now to underline that point. Let's uh, pull back a little bit, though, and talk about the film and um, maybe also the theatrical landscape of London as it is in prospect at the start of this new year. What are the highlights on your horizon? Oh, well, 2016 looks like it's going to be pretty big in terms of uh, more blockbusters than I think I can remember for a while, and a lot of them do feature London as well. The one that caught my eye a little bit earlier uh, in the year was um, London Has Fallen, which is the sequel to um, Olympus Has Fallen, an action movie in, in which the White House is blown up. And in this new version, the entire city of London is decimated by terrorists. It looks hilarious. Not sure whether that's intentional or not, but we will see. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the carnage. <laughs> Does it involve a tube strike going on at the same time? Because that really would be all. <laughs> I think that would be too much. <laughs> It's a great year ahead. It feels like the mashup of superheroes. We've got incredible blockbuster movies coming up. I'll jump a little bit. And one of my sort of you know films that you know I anticipate to watch, The Jungle Book, which has been made with the expertise of our London-based VisFX houses, is coming up with Idris Elba and and Shere Khan. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary that it's um it's sort of Avatar levels of 3D that that even though it's made in London, within about two seconds of putting on the glasses, I saw a sneak peek a little while ago you do feel like you're in the middle of the jungle it's going to be good right because we we seem to be doing pretty well in 3d don't we go gravity i think was a british film yeah i mean i think almost all of the films that you see have got some input from uh, london technicians absolutely i think you know the the post-production houses of soho you know have really pioneered a lot of when it comes to this effects and how we now experience film and they are leaders and i cannot wait to watch the jungle the jungle was a good example actually because there's actually two different versions of the Jungle Book coming that the first one will be computer animated sort of think of Avatar and that's what you get that the other one will be done all through body motion capture performances so every character will be played by Andy Serkis well Andy Serkis is directing and I think it's his directorial debut and he's managed to get a really good cast together to um, wear his sort of special suits that he wears so, so I'm sort of intrigued to see the difference between these two Jungle Books, because even though it's an old story, it's, it's going to sort of have two different versions of the latest technology, so quite an interesting face-off. We'll come back to more highlights of 2016 in just a second. I want to veer off into uh, two questions. One is London-based, one is not London-based. As uh, cinema experts, why do we keep getting this phenomenon repeatedly, that you'll have a big film, quite unusual, and in the same year, an almost identical release? Why does that keep happening? 
well, what were we talking about earlier? Because you had the, the sort of a long time ago the two Robin Hoods and uh, I don't the, know the two Truman Capote films. The two Truman Capote films. I think I, I don't mean, know. That's, that's so specific. How does that happen? I think possibly morphic resonance. People think of an idea and then somehow the the, the alpha waves reach people on the other side of the the studio and they do the, exactly the same thing. But it's curious, isn't it? I mean, maybe we are just all drinking from the same fountain of <laughs> knowledge. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. With the Jungle Book is a little bit different, I'd say, because the studios always wanted. You know, there was a film in the making. Now, what's very interesting is, you know, that they're both going at it. Not, I mean, the, the studio version of the Jungle Book is coming out this April, and, and the Circus is coming a bit later on down the line. And I just think it's very brave. Don't you think? That, it's almost you know, like a game of chicken, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just that like, I think they're going head head to head. I don't know who's going to back down first. And, yeah. Um, uh, can two can two of them actually succeed? Uh, probably not. So one of them is going to end up washed out, I think, and, and, and get we'll compared to... for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that there are things that yeah we all love, and you know some are crazy enough to say okay we'll go both and but, make them. But yeah, maybe there is enough room for for similar projects. I mean, we've had what two dozen superhero films in the last two or three years, and um, now they're just beginning to mash those up. So next year we've got a Batman and Superman and more Avengers coming, and you think. Um, surely we've had enough, but there's no saturation point, it seems, for the market. I've reached saturation point. I, if I see another Spider-Man reboot, I'm going to have to go and do something extreme. But what about oh, his poor uncle? Careful. Don't you want to know what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, 2016 is like you know the the, the one of the you know, the mashups of superheroes. I, I, I often wonder though. Do you do you think uh, a future civilization will look back on us as we look back on the Greek myths uh, two, three, four thousand years ago? Do you think people will look back on this time and recognise Superman and Batman as having that iconic status in our society? Society. Yeah, maybe think it, thinking of us as not having enough ideas to think of anyone beyond that. Um, I, w- mm. I would say that you know the the, the 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 comic book superheroes are going to get to the level of the you know myths of of, of the ancient cultures for sure. I think this these these are the, you know the new. Yeah, I mean, figure. it does say something about the film industry, though, just uh, uh, how much it costs to put on a film and how much they need to recoup that they keep going for these safe bets. Apart from the ones we've talked about, we've got another version of Alice in Wonderland from Tim Burton. We've also got another Tarzan film from... Uh, it's directed by David Yates, who did the Harry Potters. And there's also another Harry Potter spin-off uh, starring Eddie Redmayne called Fantastic Beasts. So, uh, yeah, I think the film industry is an industry, and it always does like to have these tempoles they call them to um to make sure that they can pay for maybe the other stuff that is not shouted about quite as much but it needs to get the money from somewhere well i was going to ask you this because you're both up the independent end of things Mm. and i wondered whether repeating the same formula again and again doesn't get a little depressing because unless you're on the inside uh, you're going to struggle aren't you? well possibly but um i mean you can take the new star wars as a good example i won't spoil if it if i if i catch a spoiler if this uh, listener if the, if the microphone goes dead suddenly a spoiler has been revealed and i will be batting Stu black about the head with my <laughs> with my microphone not with your lightsaber please um so yeah you know we're going to have to cut that for decency <laughs> i signed away my moral rights so <laughs> i've got nothing left um <laughs> Yeah, so we, we had a Star Wars just now, and I think, you know, it's, it's a very retro Star Wars. George Lucas has been complaining about that, and um, his apology to the studio that actually bought the rights of him for $4 billion has been quite amusing to see him backtracking on that. But what people might not be aware of is if we've got another Star Wars coming out 12 months from now, so in December we'll be going through exactly what we're going through now with a new film. This one's quite interesting from our point of view because it's a London 
based director Gareth Edwards who's moved from Monsters to Godzilla and now he's gone to Star Wars and apparently this one is a bit different what I find in 2016 is that uh, the fantastical the blockbuster the big movies are coming back and it's um, one of those things that you know today cinema has to balance it out Um, you do need blockbusters you do need the force to you know we are walking, if you like, you know, where you fill up the multiplexes to be able to then show smaller films, the London-based films, and still make the business work. And that's what we are trying to sort of like, you know, try and find gems within the independent. And also, to, at the end of the day, we all go and watch big, yeah. big movies. And um, you look at what's coming. We've got awards season over the next uh, two, two months, and it's the BAFTAs, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, all of this stuff. And um, they're not the big blockbusters that end up uh, on those podiums uh, usually. Um, films, smaller films like The Lady in the Van can get a shout, or possibly I don't know uh, anything that Eddie Redmayne's been in. Anything with Eddie Redmayne. Um, so yeah, the, the fact that you can put those under that umbrella, I suppose, is good. And the blockbusters may have a lot to say about helping that happen uh, I had another question mm-hmm. he says in Colombo fashion uh, and it, uh, it's just the London centricity of film you mentioned the Soho folk um, working up on the digital processing in fact we interviewed uh, if, if you haven't heard it already we did an interview with somebody who's very meshed into that world just a couple of episodes back but I'm a big fan of Alec Guinness Ealing comedies and there were a few of those on over Christmas and uh, it got me to wondering what the uh, layout of film production is is it all centred in that uh, in that digital world in Soho or are the studios still producing? Or what about the Pinewoods and the Ealings and so forth? Well, the, it's interesting that for the last 10 years, the focus when it came to the, the film industry in London was post-production. However, you do find that there's a lot of investment. In Ealing Studios, there's new investment. Uh, Pinewood, um, you know, and Warner Hammer. Brothers, you know, the... the, the Hammer, do, Hammer Studios are Hammer, still going. Hammer's back, yeah. Hammer's back. back. Yeah. There is a very interesting turn in um, sort of bringing film back to uh, London, not just when it comes to post-production, but produce films, big middle you know indies um you know and start shooting also again back in you know in the streets of london um it's it's um i think it's to be seen really but i am very hopeful that you know the um sort of golden days of the healing studios if you like you know are sort of coming back to a degree yeah and the other thing that i think london or britain will never stop making is uh, period dramas and there's a whole bunch of those uh, coming up some of which are sort of very straight um as you'd expect and then there are a few sort of quite quirky ones uh, coming up in february is um, pride and prejudice and zombies they've made a film of that they have, they have made a film yeah it's got doctor who in it as well matt smith Corpses. What else has it got? You know. Go yeah. On. I mean, it's, we'll see if the, that joke can sort of survive an hour and a half in the cinema. But um, who knows? We'll be reviewing. We'll be reviewing it soon. I mean, the, the trailer makes it look fun. You, uh, from, from a London-centric point of view, um, it's, it's great to see St Paul's being burnt to, burnt to ashes by a, a crowd of slavering zombies. Another so. film where they're polishing London up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a habit, isn't it? <laughs> Is that because cinema feels comfortable doing that and not so much doing it to an American city? No, oh, that's, I, that can't be true. San oh, Francisco, take, San Francisco buys it every time. Yeah, I think yeah. They, I think they started it off with Independence Day a few years ago, and we were shocked the first time that landmarks we knew were actually being blown up on screen. And now, you know, you can't look left or right without King Kong or Godzilla chewing on 
something familiar. So, it, we, we, you know, get used to it. <laughs> the, the James Bond film was a good example recently, Spectre, where um, you sort of think we've now gone into parallel ter- territory because they've blown up landmarks that, you know, bridges and, and buildings that, you know, you, we walk out of this building here, we're going to see them. So, And yet, curiously, the cable car remains untouched. <laughs> it's a matter of time, I'd say, a matter of time. Well, look, we're going to throw a, a break in, and it's an opportune moment, really, to uh, turn our minds back to Star Wars. Our sponsor is very heavily involved in uh, the, uh, on the intergalactic front. If a Star Wars fan you are, the Force is strong with Audible, which has more audiobooks than you can shake a Tusken Raider Gaddafi stick at. And they are sponsoring this episode. From novels explaining Obi-Wan Kenobi's backstory on Tatooine, to tales from the Old Republic, or even six-hour unabridged tellings of the films, there are over a hundred Star Wars-related titles to choose from on Audible, and you can get one for free. Just engage hyperdrive and head at light speed to www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist for a 30-day free trial and one free title. For example, hear Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels narrate a radio adaptation of Star Wars or listen to journalist Chris Taylor's story of how the series became one of the most successful franchises in the world. And with that going on in your ears, you'll have your hands free to fend off foes from the dark side. Membership renews automatically at £7.99 a month after your free trial, unless cancelled. Terms apply. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud, I'm in Quentin Wolfe, and we are at the Underground Film Club here in Waterloo Vaults with me, Iuana Caravella and Stu Black, both of whom contribute to the Londonist site. How long have you been contributing for? About a year? Yeah, for me about two, two and a half maybe. Um, started with theatre reviews and now looking sort of to take you know, take care of both film and theatre. Um, and Ioana A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Uh, helps out with uh, London Shorts, which is one of our pet projects. Yeah, totally. Um, we started last January on weekly showcases of short films by established and new filmmakers who make films in London or about London or certainly, you know, London filmmakers and new voices. And what's been very, very exciting for us is that throughout the last year, um, as the our sort of showcases kind of, you know, grew in, in interest and they've been received really well, we've partnered with the London Short Film Festival this coming to 2016 to actually award a London short at the festivals, um, you know, this year's festival, which kicks off on the 8th of January, if I'm right, mm-hmm. until the 17th. Yeah, it's, it's uh, about 10 days of, yes. of short film action in about five or six locations across London. A short film festival that is exactly... You know, what we kind of do online, they take the best um, films, short films, you know, in cinemas, um, the the Hackney Picture House and the ICA, and showcase new voices. It was actually going to the London Short Film Festival last year that that sort of woke me up to the potential of what short films can do. I I, I went to see uh, an evening of London-themed short films at that festival, and I was sort of amazed by the, the, the diversity of it. Compared to going to see one film at the cinema, you're sort of stuck there for two hours if it's not very good. With the short films, if you don't like it, it's fine because there'll be another one along in five minutes' time and, and you might like that more. And if you get a, a nice run of them, it's sort of like having a, a taster menu at a Michelin-starred restaurant. It's, it's, it's a really good experience. Right, and it's that vibe that really works in London, isn't it? It can be based around a pub and it's that sort of informal, friendly vibe, a bit of variety, and you don't have to worry about knowing how things work. You can just rock up and, and get on with it. Absolutely. I mean, festivals like the London Short Film Festival have exactly, you know for me, you know, got it right of finding quirky, unusual, you know, um, films and finding the right venues to show them, surrounding them with parties, with networking events, with um, masterclasses, get-togethers for the filmmakers and and more so, you know, um, still keeping the, the, if you like, that, you know, short films can also look fantastic and should be experienced in the cinema as well. So, um, I think you know people should definitely check it out. And what I found f- from friends who, you know, don't know much about the short filmmaking world is that they actually really enjoy the nights because, as Stu says, you walk in and you watch six films really in 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 the, in the space of an hour and a half, and you know come out quite sort of you know. Uh, and you see totally independent individual voices that you know aren't worried about making their money back. They just they just want to tell their story. So you get something quite unique. The, I think a lot edgier, edgier if you like, or a lot more um, sort of brave filmmaking. I'm going to ask you to be brave, actually. In, <laughs> in your individual personal trajectories through your craft, what are you working on at the moment? And by that, I don't mean what the project is. I mean, what aspect of your skill set are you focusing on? Uh, well, I'm, I'm writing, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> although at the moment it turns out that I'm, I'm sort of being um, made to go on TV and radio and stuff, so I'm, I'm learning that, but I'm, I'm finding that fun, and um, it's a sort of good way of uh, figuring out what I do think about these things that, you know, when you're staring at a page and you're sort of arranging words, um, it's, it's a much sort of um, more embedded process, and um, it's, it's good to 
chat about it and let the air through, I think. You, you know, not, not everybody, not every artist feels remotely uh, that way. Uh, well, I think we're all different. That's why it's quite fun when we all meet up and um, have a pint and a fight. Did you just say have a pint and a fight? What? A fight? <laughs> That's kind of networking events of these. <laughs> have I been to any of these networking events? Oh my god, I've missed out. <laughs> well, we're about to have one now, I think. Ioana, <laughs> uh, what are you working on? Well, I'm, I'm trying to get better at producing films, I suppose. Um, the key thing for me, and well, the most exciting part of this, you know, um, choice of a, of a life, really, and not a career, is how can I find ideas that I love. Um, to have enough people that want to watch them and at the same time convince enough people that want to invest in them. And I think that journey, however many years um, you, you, you sort of undertake it, it's different. And however small or big the project is, it's always throws something new into, you know, in the mix. And I wouldn't you know, trade it for the world, really. Mm. So both of you have to be salespeople. Well, I, I certainly hassle. <laughs> Yeah, that was something. That was something I found out the hard way. That you don't just hand it over to other people to do the selling for you. You have to learn how to do those pitches and um, convince people that this is the project that they want to pour all their savings into. We, we have this kind of. I think we've we've we no longer talk about selling it. We're more about sort of you know engaging people rather than so selling you see it. See how good she is. Um, <laughs> because the point is that um, you know ultimately we. It's filmmaking, and you should love the content of it. So it's, yeah, it's, there's it's, no point trying to sell something that you you've just kind of cooked up to to, to make you, a quick buck. And I think that's where you see the big films sort of falling down. Um, that you you can sense that no one really cares. Absolutely, you have to care about the filmmaking. You know, sort of process. You have to care about the film you're making, and definitely, even you know, the studios know that too. So the blockbusters that really work for me are those blockbusters that still have that bit of soul yeah. in there does that mean that where you've got a film like um i don't know like an avatar or a transformers where everything is everything you're seeing on the screen uh, isn't really there it's all computer is it can that love and that care still find its way through it's it's a tricky um sort of challenge it's challenge it's a challenge rather i think definitely with avatar there was that that was there the vision was there um the obsession of creating that you know, otherworldly, you know, sort of um, space and, 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 and milieu, if you like, was, was definite. I'd say know? it's almost more likely where they're creating everything from scratch because you have to think through every, every cell or every, every, every pixel. Um, and I suppose if you've just tried to cobble together something from elements that have sort of been given to you, if you've been shipped in as a director at the last minute and you just have to create a product that's when the soul falls out of things and and unfortunately you do see that a fair bid it's, it's strange in a way then that a phantom menace got such a a poor uh, rating <sighs> i don't know where, what can you say about that yeah that it, was that was clearly somebody who was invested in his own project and uh, was, was seeing every element of it through as best he could it's a bit of a mystery isn't it for someone to be so competent and then move you know 20 20 years forward to a passion project that doesn't doesn't work at all on any, on almost any level. It's bizarre. Almost, it's a phantom menace in itself. <laughs> uh, we were midway, I think, through investigating what might uh, be in store for us in 2016, and I think there are a few, uh, maybe smaller films. Um, for sure. Um, I would say that 
Well, the films that's coming up, I, don't, I wouldn't say that it's quite that small, but uh, there's definitely a lighter sort of, you know, uh, proposition that is coming up. It's Ricky Gervais, um, you know, um, uh, Life on the Road. Am I right? Am yeah, I? bringing David Brent back out of retirement from the office. Um, apparently he's um, taking his rock band around London and possibly Slough. Um, trying to make them successful. So uh, possibly flogging a dead horse or possibly hilarious. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. And on a, on a similar note... Nina Forever. No, I was going to say that one. Oh! This doesn't work on radio, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there is... Um, oh, that one. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> no, but... Um, um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> why, are you, why are you asking me to talk about this? No, but like the, 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 the Bridget, Bridget Jones baby is, is coming out and that is to be seen whether it's going to sort of, you know, be more about, um, you know, Renee's, uh, you know, the discussion around Renee's face or about the movie. So, <laughs> so Renee's face is also going to be in it. Um, for sure, um, uh, but we're you know, sure as, <laughs> we're not sure which is in—is it, is it her? Is it real? Uh, but it's coming out, and um, I'm sure it's going to be a hit. Yeah, and long, uh, you know, awaited. And that's, that's a that's a good example of you know um, a, a, a London company doing what it does well, a working title, and they've they've had two hits, um, and and they're back for a third. I'm not sure quite how long they can keep going with it, but um, if that helps them prop up some of the other uh, less familiar stuff that they do, then then that's all to the good. Working title, of course, famous for uh, With Nail and I. Yeah, and uh, started with uh, My Beautiful Laundrette, which um, uh, got them off the ground, and ever since. Then I think they've been involved in the you know, theory of everything. Was yeah, the working the, title yeah, yeah, so many, so many British films. Um, a lot of rom coms. They're known for their rom coms. Working with Richard Curtis. Yeah, particularly. This is how they did actually secure the studio contract, if you like, through the rom coms with Richard Curtis. Really, mm. Notting Hill is a is a working title and and, and a London centric film. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of their work is yeah. Very much so. It's, they're, they're a British big indie, you know, and they love London and they make a lot of the films in London. Legend was another working title film that came out uh, last year with, with debatable, rev, you know, yeah. com, com, um, sort of reviewing, if you like. Yeah, Tom Hardy as, as two Cray twins. I'm not sure we needed one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Uh, well, uh, we actually saw that one together, and um, we—it was—it was a struggle to sit to the end. Unfortunately, I, I think he'll—he'll he'll do quite well come award season because it's a showy performance of, of two halves. But in the end, it's—it's um, it's a fairly uh, grubby film about two sort of knock knock about East End villains. Uh, I wasn't impressed. And we're probably you know one of the very few um, reviewers that actually did um, you know think that Legend didn't really. Um, deliver. Um, it's been, you know, uh, controversial as to whether it was worth making it as a film. As reviewers, do you find you've got a voice interrupting your enjoyment of the film the whole time, putting together how you're going to phrase your opinion of it? I would say it's almost an extra pleasure because you get to watch the film with everyone else, and, and but you're doing a bit more than just eating your popcorn. You're sort of thinking, right, how am I going to tell people? It's it's a lot of fun reviewing films. You, you get to sort of sit down afterwards and really, really interrogate what you felt, what you think, and... Um, I, I think it's actually, when I watch films and I'm not reviewing, I find that sl a slightly shallower experience. I find it quite interesting because, you know, it's not only reviewing, but also because I'm making films, it's incredibly difficult not to have these hats, you know, at the same time as you're watching it. But 
if a film manages to somehow, you know, make me think about it, just as a um, as a regular, you know, average Joe that went to the cinema to watch a movie, then it means that the film was very good. And I like that, that I've got the ability to sort of like play these roles whilst I'm watching it. I love it. Yeah, I'd say as a filmmaker, it's a bit more disruptive because you are sort of thinking, oh, that was a great shot or, you know, I wonder how they managed to get, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio to hang off that waterfall with a bear chasing him or whatever it is. And uh, and that can take you out of it, I think, a bit more than um, the sort of appreciation of it, which puts you in it. Right, so you've got yeah, that's very interesting. You've got about three or four different hats. The person, the person behind me in the cinema, I hate the changing of all those hats, <laughs> but not not at least the popcorn. Well, just uh, because we haven't talked at all about theatre, and that's uh, yet another hat to add to the pile. Um, There's even more of a problem in London theatres, isn't it? Because the viewing angles are so steep that you only need the slightest movement from the person in front of you, and the entire show is blocked out. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Some of those old theatres aren't meant for six foot five men with afros. <laughs> <laughs> what, what should we do about the uh, What should we do about the theatre scene in 2016? How's that looking? Uh, well, um, it's uh, strangely enough, it's the blockbusters uh, from the West End that are shouting loudest at the moment, and um, there's a whole bunch of film-related projects. So there's a, uh, a Harry Potter musical coming soon, uh, which has been fairly controversial for a race change in the casting, with Hermione now being played by uh, a black actress. Um, interesting to see that people think that's a big deal in 2016. Slightly depressing, but, you know... It is a big deal, and it is slightly depressing, but, you know, I think we should applaud the move, don't you? Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. I mean, it should, you know, change them all as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it doesn't that speak to that problem that you mentioned earlier of too few ideas and too much reliance on bankers? Yeah, and I mean, in, in theatre where the, the, the margins are much tighter than in film and, uh, you know, it's much harder to get that revenue back, I think we're going to see a lot more of these safe bets. And along with Harry Potter, School of Rock uh, is being turned into a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's uh, uh, coming to the West End in December, I believe. Um, Finding Neverland, which was a slightly dreary film with Johnny Depp about J.M. Barry, is being turned into a musical by of all people, Gary Barlow, so that shouldn't be too interesting. Um, well, that's that's a, a very judgmental thing to say. Well, uh, I mean, boring squared equals boring cubed, I'd say. That, that didn't improve it. <laughs> Maybe cut that. <laughs> it struck me with the Harry Potter thing that uh, I wonder whether there's an element of, de- of deflection going on there because we're focusing perhaps on the edgy casting choice where actually it's a very risk-averse production. Extremely, yeah. I suppose the only risk that they face is is, is disappointing the fans, but it's it's not it's not a financial risk. Um, the other the other big hitter that sort of seems slightly mind boggling is um, they're, they're about to purpose build a theatre for the Hunger Games. They'll be turning into a, I think it's a musical as well. So you can see the pattern here emerging. Um, I mean, this is one end of the market, and there'll always be sort of wonderful theatre all over London. I don't think you can keep it down. And in this venue that we're at right now, the, the vault's just about 10 metres away from where I'm, I'm sitting. Uh, in February, there's going to be the Vault's Festival, which is about as crazy, wild and whirling a fringe festival as you can imagine. It was brilliant last year. I'm really looking forward to it again, and I recommend everyone buy a ticket. It's going to be amazing. One thing we haven't mentioned so far in the show is how to find this place because it is tucked away. Oh, completely, it's tucked away. And I, every time I come here, I get lost to say, to admit, really, I do, I do. But it, it, it actually is not that hard to, to find it. It's, it's 
by Waterloo Station and really, how do you say, it's like really literally I think, um, by the vaults, really. Yeah, if you know there's, the uh, what's the tunnel called with the, uh, covered in graffiti? We're, we're in a complex underneath uh, the train lines and we're right next to, I mean, th- maybe the best way to describe it. <laughs> okay, we've been going on this uh, for a minute so far. <laughs> you see it, then you can't blame me that I get lost. I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up, I'll sum it up. The, the best on. way to describe this place is, is uh, it's in a good area to get losted, so just enjoy finding it. Give yourself an extra half an hour. You'll find some hidden gems around here. <laughs> Uh, good restaurants and good pubs, so you know. Or certainly go to you know the Underground Film Club website where they have the best map ever, where they actually <laughs> really tell you how to it's get the there. Only, it's the only way and, you find and it, and it's the only way you can actually find it. However, it's still it's great. It's 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 beautiful because you actually do feel like you oh you've just walked into an Aladdin's cave and it's brilliant. Uh, I think this is the first podcast where I've got less idea at the end than at the beginning where the hell I am. Uh, We're going to come to uh, a reluctant close uh, shortly. Is is there anything else we need to drop into the mix, particularly perhaps about what, uh, if if you had to pick out something for January, what uh, the eyes should be feasting on? Oh, I was going to pick out. I'm not actually sure what date this is. This is coming, but um, a United Kingdom has caught my eye. Uh, it's a, a film by Ama Asante, who made Bell a few years ago, which was um, an interesting film about um, a young black aristocrat in Hampstead. And, and this is a sort of interesting play with class and race. Uh, it features um, David Oyelowo. <laughs> I think I've probably said that wrong, as um, a Botswanian prince and Rosamund Pike as the clerk from Lords of London who he decides to marry and he causes a furore uh, within both communities. Um, sounds like an interesting proposition to me. And that actor again was... Oh. <laughs> Um, and also the Revenant by you know with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy who we gave him a hard time um, just a few minutes ago I'd say is a very interesting film to go watch um, and it's coming out in January one more that I'd just add to that um, Michael Caine back again in a role that he's being tipped for an Oscar uh, it's a film called Youth and it's about a uh, retired orchestra conductor who's summoned home to perform a concert for Prince Philip's birthday and uh, uh, by all accounts, his performance is up there with some of his best. We, yes, uh, which makes me ask, which would you consider to be his best performance? I, I, I struggle with Michael Caine. My favourite is uh, The Quiet American. Um, I've, it, it's a quiet film, it's a quiet performance, but it's, it's quietly devastating as well. Uh, I can watch that over and over again and just get immersed in uh, 1960s Vietnam. He plays a, a reporter uh, who has to make a choice about whether he stays covering the war or, or leaves with the, the Vietnamese woman he loves and it's um, it's a very sort of stinging beautiful film I, I, I recommend that that's the sort of note I like to finish a podcast <laughs> on and we're going to do exactly that and there is just a moment or two in which to establish the facts as regards London centric film enjoyment coming up so 16th of January one of our Londonist film nights suffragette and a bonus short check it out but most importantly from the 8th of January to the 17th the London Shopping Festival kicks off in town with very very you know interesting short films fantastic evenings great cinemas check them out I think it's going to be a very interesting 
you're full of great movies, don't you? Mm. And just the other thing to mention is undergroundfilmclub.com is the place to go to uh, get a ticket for Suffragette and, and the other great films they've got on at the moment. Yes, absolutely, because uh, Suffragette is looking, you know, that it's selling out um, very, very quickly. Um, yes, undergroundfilmclub.com. Thank you for, um, you know, uh, hosting us and uh, thank you. I think my clothes has been done for me. <laughs> That's very convenient. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to go make a coffee. So now the, the challenge, as we close the book, I've just realised the challenge now is to find my way out. Is that going to be as <laughs> tough as finding my way in? Um, Ioana Caravella and Stu Black, thanks very much. Thank you Thank so you. very much. My heart aches for some far-off place No one cut it, you with your name and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Ioana Caravella and to Stu Black. Thanks to, to Bernie Barkley. Theme and the incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolfe. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.